Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything, simply everything you could possibly think of, has its own history, like snails, oranges and happiness. I love those. Um, I love them especially because they are courtesy of my nine-year-old daughter. Mm. I was sitting down last night preparing for this podcast and she was sitting beside me reading and I asked her, uh, I asked her to name three things at random. So, um, thank you, Alice. That was very good. Or really good. we could do hackers, whackers and slackers, <laughs> trackers, packers and carjackers. Uh, that was not my daughter. Um, uh, not at all. Uh, however, we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew, Sam, that the history of leather, which is one of my favourite recent podcasts, is in fact all about medieval birthing girdles and something called biocodicology. Yes, that is in fact a term. The fabulous National Leather Collection in Northampton and the quest to buy as many interesting things as you can for £5. It's also about glove making and William Shakespeare's father. It's also about Benjamin Franklin and the leather apron man and, of course, samurai warriors. Or... Who knew that the history of buttons, yes, buttons, is in fact all about Robert Louis Stevenson, the outbreak of World War One, General John Joseph Pershing and American military uniforms. It's about Victorian clothing. It's also about a conversation between Claude Levi Strauss and Lucien Fevre. Oh, can you imagine that? And nothing less than the bodily posture, the art of life and ways of integrating the world. Get that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a massive one. Isn't it? Did you know what? that? I know, what? it's amazing. All from the history of buttons. Bodily posture, the art of life, and ways of integrating the world. Those French philosophers, goodness mm. me, and I mean, their highfalutin ideas. Yeah, I'm so excited about the history of snails. <laughs> I'm, just thinking, I'm just thinking about Alice's thing. Let's do snails next. We've done oranges. We have done oranges, haven't we? It was we one haven't of done happiness. The very earliest ones. Have we not? The world needs some happiness, I feel. All right, let's do snails and happiness next week. I was also thinking of ketchup. Okay. I, we, we haven't done ketchup. Ketchup and cards. Widget sauces in general would be excellent. Sauces. sauces. Mustard. <laughs> we could do a sub-theme of sauces. Horseradish. Horseradish. Oh, I love horseradish. HP. Anyway, let's move on. Um, you're probably wondering who is doing all this talking and telling you about this fascinating history. Well, um, I would 
introduce him to you, of course, but there isn't any point because you all know who he is. He's Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, Sam, and the man not sitting opposite me, because we are still, we're recording this on, what is it, the 26th of March, 2021, and we're still in lockdown. However, let's just say, if he were a futility-related historian, he'd only be the exact opposite of a Sisyphusian historian (laughs) pushing a boulder uphill in a futile (laughs) manner to the hill of Hades for only for it to roll down again. He's the opposite of that. So creative, erudite and genius are his historical investigations. Yes, you've guessed it. It's your friend and mine. The famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. Hello, everyone. Um, I, I, my, my introduction of James was a little short this week, but I couldn't, I couldn't resist it because we're doing futility, um, which was uh, I. It was my idea, wasn't it? It was. And I was totally stumped. <laughs> That's my um, challenge. I basically try and come up with ideas that you can't do. <laughs> yes. And I can I start this time because I've got it. I think I've got it. I've got it nailed. Uh, absolutely. You can, you, got, can, you can start. Just go and crack on. But um, I've got it nailed. And for me, when I was thinking about the history of futility, um, <laughs> I thought two things sprung to mind. One was World War One, yep. and the other was Oscar Wilde and Oscar Wilde in prison. So I'm going to talk about two things. I'm going to talk about the futility of the Great War, and I'm going to talk about uh, the futility of forced labour to break a you know a genius creative man. Hmm. And starting with it's sort of picking up on what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, rhyming. I remember ending one of the fra- one of the little bits there talking about Wilfred Owen as a two poem poet, and I completely um, backtrack there because I I don't think he's simply a two poem poet because I found another uh, poem uh, by Wilfred Owen, which <laughs> extraordinarily enough uh, is titled Futility. Hmm. And it's a poem written in May 1918. And I think what I'll do is I will just I'll just read it to you um, so that you sort of get a sense of it. And then I'll use that as a sort of riffing point for you know, discussing uh, something about the, the sort of futility of, of that war, which basically saw it was a war of attrition, which basically saw two sides battling against each other in a totally futile manner until they were more or less down to, you know, until, you know, they had sort of broken through, but in a, to a great bloody cost. Move him into the sun. Gently its touch awoke him once. At home, whispering of fields unsown. Always it woke him, even in France, until this morning and this snow. If anything might rouse him now, the kind old sun will know. Think how it wakes the seeds, woke once the clays of a cold star. Our limbs so dear achieved, our sides full-nerved, still warm, too hard to stir. Was it for this the clay grew tall, of what made fatuous sunbeams toil to break earth's sleep? at all so this is this is a a sort of description of a a group of soldiers attempting to revive an unconscious soldier by moving him you know into the the kind old sun which of course is is an incredibly 
futile gesture. And I think we've talked a lot in the past about the the futility of of the Great War, um, these these sort of powers against each other, the the, the horrors of trench warfare, where basically you were fighting over you know literally you know meters of land that would suddenly get taken and then would fall back onto uh, to the other side, and one of the most futile of all battles a very well-known battle the battle of the somme and this occurred in july 1916 on the 1st of july 1916 british and empire forces with their french allies launched a massive attack uh, against the german trenches near the river somme in france and this was across a, a 30 kilometer uh track and before they did this there were preparations and they literally bombarded the hell out of the German lines. It's estimated that one and a half million shells were dropped onto the enemy lines. And what they attempt what they were attempting to do was basically destroy all the German defences, all their fortifications, cut through the barbed wire, and this would then lead to free passage for the Allied troops to just, you know, move forward, take over this this area. Um, and so this this took place, this sort of heavy bombardment for about a week beforehand. And then at 7.30 in the morning on the 1st of July, just after a, a sort of series of, of heavy, heavy duty mines were detonated, um, the infantry you know, emerged from their trenches and start going across no man's land. The problem is... This went horrifically wrong um, because what they didn't know was that the Germans had dug deep under the ground, deep into the, you know, into the into the earth. Um, they hadn't knocked out the defences at all. Um, the troops were spread far too thinly. The machine guns were were up. The wire remained uncut, and what it meant was that these poor soldiers in a very futile manner were basically marching forward against German guns and were mown down in their thousands. And it's thought that in the first day alone, there were almost 60,000 casualties from there, 60,000 casualties just in one day, including about 20,000 soldiers who were dead. And the Somme continues you know, we, we've talked about it starting in on the 1st of July and it continues into September. You know, so it continues without any major breakthrough. Um, the, it, they introduce uh, tanks uh, in September um, and there are about 49 tanks that take part in an attack on the village of Fleurs. Um, but overall, the 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 casualties were absolutely awful and the statistics are just horrifying by mid-november half a million germans have been you know it, it killed or injured so there are half a million casualties british and empire casualties were over 400,000 the french losses were in excess of 200,000 and for all of this the brits had just gained about 10 and a half kilometers uh, you know of ground at it at its further furthest point so this this was terrible um and 
we have first-hand accounts of this futility and what, what happened on. And I just want to read you uh, a couple of them now. Um, there's an account from uh, an infantryman, George Coppard, and his story. Um, Hundreds of dead were strung out like wreckage. Quite as many had died on the enemy wire as on the ground. They died on their knees and the wire had prevented their fall. It was clear that there were no gaps in the wire at the time of the attack. Um, had the British generals studied the black density of the wire through their powerful binoculars, what made them think that artillery fire would pound such wire to pieces? Any Tommy could have told them that shell fire lifts wire up and drops it back down, often in a worse tangle than before. What was superior beyond any doubt was the enemy trench system. Any element of surprise had been ruined by the long bombardment. So there we are, just a really sort of futile, futile um, battle. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that you thought of the first World War. I did too, but... Um... For an interesting reason. Do you know what a Google Ngram viewer is? I do know what a Google Ngram viewer is, yes. Ah, well, OK. Um, for those of you who don't, James, well, do you want to tell everyone or shall I? I'll, I'll allow you since I've used I've used them in teaching, actually. Ah, well, um, uh, it's, yes. um, it's a kind of a search tool. If you put something into Google, what it'll do is it'll tell you uh, how frequently a particular word has been used. They use it, the basis is based on um, all of the many millions of books they've scanned in many different languages from between 1500 and 2019. And they're in English, uh, simplified Chinese, French, German, Hebrew, Italian, Russian and Spanish. And if you put futility into this, you get a really interesting result. So around about 1800, it's kind of pottering along. Um, I'm not going to give you specific figures here, but I'm going to try and describe the shape of the graph. So it's going along just slightly below what it is today in 2021. It then takes a significant dip. So no one is using the word futility between 1860 and 1880. But from 1882, I suppose, until about 1940, it takes a huge rise, is a massive spike to well over double what it was when I started off talking about this in 1800. So um, almost doubles and then it settles back down again to roughly what it was in 1800. So you can imagine the, the, the graph going from 1800 right down and then whizzing all the way up and then down again. So a very distinctive shape. And I thought, well, Goodness me, what was going on between 1882 or whatever it might be in 1940? And uh, the one thing you can immediately think of is, of course, the world wars, this um, period of, of the world, the world um, disintegrating into fighting. And I was wondering about how the best way of talking about uh, the futility. And I wanted to go back to... Um, a you know a primary source and uh for, for those of you who know your world war one history and also those of you who know your history of war in general there is nothing better than eric remarks all quiet on the western front which was a novel he was a german veteran of the first world war the novel describes um the, his extreme physical and mental stress during the war and also the the, the detachment detachment from civilian life uh, which was felt by many of those soldiers when they returned home. Um, and it's, a, it's an extraordinary book, and I'm just going to read you a few little quotes out of it, uh, because I think it will inspire you to go 
and read it. I see how peoples are set against each other, foolishly, innocently, obediently slaying each other, while they, and he means here the promoters of the war, continued to talk and to write. We saw the wounded and dying, the wrong people do the fighting. And then uh, a, a wonderful expression where, where he comes across a soldier like him. But now for the first time I see you are a man like me. I thought of your hand grenades, of your bayonet, of your rifle. Now I see your wife and your face and our fellowship. Forgive me, comrade, we always see it too late. Why do they never tell us that you are poor devils like us? that your mothers are just as anxious as ours, and that we have the same fear of death and the same dying and the same agony. Forgive me, comrade, but how could you be my enemy? Oh, he was a just an astonishing writer, wasn't he? Um, I am young, I am 20 years old, yet I know nothing of life but despair, death, fear and fatuous superficiality cast over an abyss of sorrow. I see how peoples are set against one another, and in silence, unknowingly, foolishly, obediently, innocently, slay one another. I'll give you one more, and then I'm going to move on. Then, James, you can carry on. We're no longer young men. We've lost any desire to conquer the world. We are refugees. We are fleeing from ourselves, from our lives. We were 18 years old and we had just begun to love the world and to love being in it. But we had to shoot at it. The first shell to land went straight for our hearts. We've been cut off from real action, from getting on, from progress. We don't believe in those things anymore. We believe in the war. So there you go, all quiet on the Western Front uh, for anyone interested in the First World War or the history of futility. You should read it, read it and read it and tell everyone about it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Excellent. So futility is all about, is all about the Great War. Um, but I was thinking about futility in another, in another way. And I was thinking of that, started off by thinking of that uh, Greek myth about Sisyphus. Uh, and just for those of you who don't know about it, um, this is the, the king of of Corinth, who was a sort of, you know, just a general sort of trickster. And he cheated death a couple of times. And he basically, Zeus gets his own back on him. And he, he, he deals him this sort of eternal punishment of basically pushing a boulder uphill uh, in the depths of Hades. And when he gets up to the hill, the boulder rolls down again to the bottom and he has to start doing it all over again. Can you think of anything more just backbreaking and futile than doing something like that over and over again? There's a beautiful 
sort of musing on this, the myth of Sisyphus by Albert Camus, the wonderful uh, French existential uh, writer, or Algerian uh, writer, and he um, and what he what he says is that. The, the, the sort of one of the ideas that he comes up with is that although this may seem futile, you know, pushing this um, this rock uphill for it then only to sort of fall back down to the bottom, what's intriguing about it from an existential point of view is actually the time that it takes you to walk from the top to the bottom is a time of freedom. That's your existential time. It's time to sort of to think. And this then got me thinking about... That brilliant uh, film Bent, uh, which has a wonderful performance by Clive Owen in it. It's a 1998 film. It's um, it's about two homosexual German men who end up in a concentration camp, uh, imprisoned for their sexuality. And one of the things that they have to do, and this is one of the most um, just poignant scenes in the movie, is when they're out in the yard and there are two... Uh, piles of rocks at either end of the of the yard and what they have to do is carry they're they're on either side of the yard um and they have to carry these heavy rocks from one side to the other and they're as they're carrying them the two men cross paths and actually can see each other and although they are in such pain it's actually that moment when you pass somebody that's a bit like Camus' Sisyphus. You know, that's your that's your moment. And even when you are enduring this futile hardship, you know, you you find some sort of fleeting moment of something in those terrible circumstances that that you know that shows you that you're alive. And this then got me thinking about Oscar Wilde. You know, very well known. Uh, for um, being imprisoned for his homosexuality and he goes to, I think it's first, Newgate Prison in London. He's moved to Pentonville. He's then moved to Wandsworth. He ends up in Reading Jail. Reading is my hometown. There's a superb Banksy uh, mural on on Reading Jail uh, at the moment, which you should all check out. But one of the things that is extraordinary is the forced labor that he has to endure as part of this and i think one of the one of the things that i find most upsetting about this is the way in which this was used to just break such a creative genius he had to walk the treadmill he had to pick oakum uh, which is basically separating fibers uh you know, of scraps of old navy rope, so real sort of just mundane stuff. And I think it's the Victorian policing and prison system that actually forces prison on people as some form of punishment, that it's not simply about correction, it's about a mode of imprisonment that actually punishes you for what you've done, breaks you down, breaks your your will. And I'll just give you a description of some of these forces, forms of hard labour, the treadwheel that um, that Oscar Wilde was forced to be on. Uh, if you've seen Stephen Fry's brilliant film Wilde, you'll have a you'll have a sort of sense of, of what it is. And basically what it is, it's a 
It's a large hollow cylinder of wood on an iron frame with a series of steps and the steps are sort of six, seven inches apart and you've got handrails on each side and basically what you have to do, you use those to steady yourself and then you basically have to walk and this causes the, a mill to revolve and the resistance that you get is caused by heavy weights. There was a point when this, you know, had some sort of practical purpose and it either it was either it drove a mill or it pumped water. But later on, it basically, you you know, you're just doing it for the sake of doing it. And what would happen is for a 10 hour stretch, get this, you would do 10 minutes on this treadmill and then five minutes off, oh. you know, and it would be done in silence. And, you know, you could have to do this for you know, three months or so. And it's the kind of thing that would lead even a super fit, you know, person just completely broken. And there's a there's a scene in the film Wild when Oscar Wilde comes out of prison and he is just a shadow of his former self. And there's a bit where he's having he's having lunch with one of his friends and he just doesn't quite know what to do. And he's obviously been in this routine where everything has had to be ordered and his knife and fork need to be, you know, either side of his plate very neatly and he needs to sit up and, you know, and it really has just broken him. Um, the other thing that he was involved in was picking oakum. And this is another form of, of hard labour. And as I said, it is basically taking old Navy rope, so tarred rope, and pulling it apart so that you split out the individual fibers it's where it's where the phrase money for old rope come comes from but it's you know it's it meant that they could then be used and again and you can imagine that this was you know pretty difficult work and you know really bad for the hands would make them bleed would be incredibly painful and a couple of other just totally futile uh, forced labor uh, devices. One was the shot drill. This is very similar to what I was describing earlier on with 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 Bent, the film Bent, trying to sort of move large rocks from one side of a yard to another. This is you're carrying a heavy iron ball, and you have to pick it up. You carry it to the pick it up to the level of your chest, and then you have to walk a a set distance, and then you put it down. And then you pick up another one and repeat it and you just go backwards and forwards. And perhaps the worst thing is something called the crank. And there is no point to this other than just being, I mean, futile is the best word for it. It is utterly pointless and soul destroying. And the really evil thing about it is you could do it in your cell. And the crank is basically a large—it's a large handle that is connected to a drum full of sand and gravel, and it had a counter on it. And each day, you had to turn a certain number of turns without it doing anything. All you were doing was literally turning this handle, this crank, that was then just churning this sand and gravel around, and. You know, you might have to, to um, you might have to do ten thousand turns a day, and you know, and you wouldn't be fed until you had done it. So you do a certain number before 
breakfast, a certain number before lunch, a certain number before supper, a certain number before you go to bed, and you're in isolation, you're in your cells doing it, and it's just the whole idea is to punish you, penalise you, break your spirit. Uh, absolutely futile. Yeah. Effective, I suspect. I don't know. Um... I imagine I imagine if, if what you want to do is break somebody's will and bring in, you know, just mind-numbing discipline, <laughs> probably quite effective, but in a really sort of, you know, in a really horrific, horrifying way. Yeah, unless they were spending all their time being creative and they turned them into creative um, writing geniuses. I, I very much doubt that. I know, where's the time for poetry when you're turning a crank? <laughs> God, oh, I don't know. Let's finish up futility. Um, here's a great one. Lord Raglan wishes the cavalry to advance rapidly to the front, follow the enemy and try to prevent the enemy carrying away the guns. Troop, horse, artillery, mare company. French cavalry is on your left. Immediate. Go, go, go. That is the, uh, that's the charge of the light brigade order. And it was the one thing that I decided to settle on. I thought, oh, hang on, hang on a minute. There's all sorts of interesting expedition futility stuff we can do. There's all sorts of military stuff. I thought about um, talking about Scott of the Antarctic's last diary entry. That's a very good one. Um, or General Charles Gordon, his last letter from Khartoum. That's in the last quarter of the 19th century. And uh, he's being uh, besieged. He knows he's going to fall and writes a, a fascinating letter. But I, I settled on the charge of the Light Brigade. Um, I think it's interesting because it highlights... Um, so much that went wrong in in war. Primarily, it was a it was a mistake. Um, it w- wasn't a, an unwise decision when they originally ordered it, but it was um, riddled with misinformation and miscommunication. So it happens during the Crimean War um, in eighteen fifties. Uh, it breaks out in eighteen fifty three. Uh, this particularly happens during the uh, this the siege of Sevastopol on the 25th of October, 1854. Uh, the British have a base at Balaclava. The Russians launch an attack. And it initially looks as if the Russians are going to steal a victory pretty easily. They gain control of ridges surrounding the port. But the Allies managed to hold them off. In fact, they then decide to go and recover the guns, which uh, they believe the Russians had taken. And this is where it takes us to this order. Uh, the guy in charge of the army is Lord Fitzroy Somerset Raglan. That's a pretty impressive name. And he looks up towards the Causeway Heights and decides that something needs to be done. The original plan is to send up the cavalry. So you've got heavy and light brigades and they're going to advance up there with the infantry. This is the key point that they're supposed to be going up with the infantry. And uh, they they wait for the infantry to turn up, but the, the infantry uh, don't arrive. And what happens is that they then decide to follow these very vague instructions to advance rapidly to the front. That's all they were told to do. And when quest, they question it, the, the, the person who gave the order sort of gestic- gesticulates vaguely um, towards... Uh, the, the North Valley. And the problem here is they end up launching a frontal assault against uh, an artillery battery, one which is very well prepared with excellent fields of defensive fire. Um, so they they launched an attack on something they were never supposed to attack. It all happened because of muddled communication. And it ends up being one of the most famous events 
in all of British history. They lose about 260 to 300 or so soldiers. But the, the futility was then almost celebrated. The, the, the heroism of it was almost celebrated. Um, Tennyson wrote a poem called The Charge of the Light Brigade. And uh, I'll just read the first couple of uh, paragraphs of this. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, charged for the guns, he said, into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. There's not to make reply, there's not to reason why, there's but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. So there we go. Let's end there with the charge of the light brigade. It all ties it up with the futility of war. James, that was very good fun. I enjoyed our episode on futility. I thought it was good. It was futile. It was futile. Me, so <laughs> yeah, hopefully, futile. hopefully you've learnt nothing. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you've learnt nothing. It's utterly useless. A complete waste of my time and yours. History is totally futile. Yeah, well done, everyone. Brilliant. Okay, uh, that's great fun. Do please follow me on social media if I can waste more of your time. Uh, you can follow James as well. I'm at Dr. Sam Willis. And if you want to be futile, you can follow me at James Daybell. You can follow the podcast if you care uh, at <laughs> Unexpected Pod. You can follow us on social media uh, on Instagram and Facebook. However, who does that these days? It's so useless. And but however, we have a non-futile website, Histories of the Unexpected dot com, with all our non-futile activities, books, all sorts of stuff. And buying one of our books would not be an exercise in futility. I'll tell you that much. They're great. Um, and it would be signed. I, I'll sign. We could sign it in a really futile manner. <laughs> yes, I think we're labouring this far too much. Sam. An illegible <laughs> manner. Yes, OK, yes. we will. That's it. We're going to shut up now. And that's it. And we're going to come back and uh, well, snails and happiness, I reckon, James. I reckon snails and cards. Cards? All right. Well, as in playing cards? Oh, Yes. Yeah, I think snails and cards. Okay, fine. It could, be, it could be playing cards, couldn't it? Mm. Mm. Okay, that's it, guys. Uh, we'll be back again soon. All right, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.